Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 29th, 2021, we begin our new series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, an introduction to the gospel, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Enjoy. Romans, probably more than any other book of the Bible, helps us to to come to grips with the greatness and the depth and the beauty of the gospel. That's important. At its core, the book of Romans is a letter about the gospel. Its author, Paul's whole life is committed to Jesus and it's all about bringing the gospel and building churches that will preach the gospel. Now, Romans will hit on other issues, of course, like sin, and they do it in a very creative way. One of the things that Romans will do is is, is come at it from the point of view that, that one of the things that happens in people's lives is, is that we will turn away from the lifestyle that God has established for us and choose to live a lifestyle of our own choice and therein walk away and don't honor God, fail to honor God. Now that's a recipe for struggling spiritually when the lifestyle that God wants us to live is not the lifestyle that we choose. As a result, people will very often get on a moral high horse and hold God in contempt and they'll find themselves saying things like, well, you know what? If God doesn't let me do what I want, I'm not sure that that's the God that I want. If God doesn't love me the way I am or God doesn't let me love the way I want to love or value my choices or my lifestyle, then he's not the God that I want to serve. Well, the truth is God does value us and love us. He just doesn't value and love every choice I make. Any more that as a parent that I value and love every choice that my own children make. Just because, you know, they're my children doesn't mean I have to like what they do. You know, the problem though with saying something like that is that that's not the God that I want is that there is only one God. You can't pick and choose. We don't have the right to shape God. I mean, that's called idolatry. You know, idolatry is when they they took something and they shaped it into something that they were most comfortable with. How is that any different for us as a people if we say, well, I don't like this about God, but I only like this, and so this is the God that I'm going to serve? That doesn't work. Can't make God into something that we're just simply comfortable with. Honestly, if you're doing that, you're deceiving yourself. God isn't a chameleon who changes with society. That's why we dive into this word. That's why the study of God's word needs to be careful and thorough. It needs to be verse by verse. It needs to be something that we get into carefully and and look at from an honest perspective because we're not doing this so we can decide what we like or dislike about God. We're doing this so that we can know him. Romans will also tell us about salvation that our salvation is not our doing. That we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. In fact, we will even use something, a little tool that's been put together, I don't know who ever put it together the very first time, but something called the Romans Road. It's a guide for teaching through so that we can come to the place where we understand what true salvation really is and it will make it very clear. Romans will talk about sovereignty. You know, some people, it's funny, 
there are a lot of people that dislike that term completely. Oh, I hate that term. Whenever you say sovereignty, and they hate it because honestly in their minds, what they're saying is I don't like the idea that someone other than me is in control. Why, well, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but God's bigger than you are. He is in control. Now, how sovereignty all works together, I couldn't tell you that I completely understand all of that, but I can tell you I believe it. When God's word says that he is over and above all things that he created everything, I believe it. If God's word tells me that he chose me before the foundation of the world, I believe it. If God's word says whosoever would call upon his name will be saved, I believe it. Well, how does that all work together? There is no chapter on that one. There's no place I can go to perfectly and explains the inner workings of God and how he works with our thoughts and minds and and puts it all together perfectly. There isn't. It's just that it's, it's true. See, one day I believe God will give us the answer for that. In fact, I would tell you that I think that heaven, if you want my interpretation, my interpretation of heaven is gonna be a lot of times doing this going, oh, okay, that makes sense now. I think it's gonna be like an eternity of that. Because we can't understand those things right now. And by the way, God has not given us all those things to understand. You have to understand we're called as a people to live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse six says, without faith it's impossible to please God. That tells me that God is not going to give you every single detail and every single answer right now. If you're waiting for that, I have bad news for you. That comes when we stand before him. Right now, he's asking you, trust me. I'm asking you to trust me. Now, Romans will also talk about serving, stepping up to the challenge that God has for us. In fact, if you, this morning, we're gonna be looking at the first seven verses in chapter one, but three times in the first seven verses, he will tell us that we are called to serve. Historically, this letter to the Romans has had an amazing impact. I mean, just if you think about some of the big you know, characters down through history, one person that might be a name you might recognize is a guy named Augustine. Augustine is, is thought of today as maybe one of the most the brightest, deepest you know, philosophers and theologians of all time, but he was not like that from a small child. In fact, he was a professor in Rome at the time, living a total life of debauchery, running around going crazy, doing terrible things, and then somebody put Paul's letter to the Romans on his, on his you know, table, and he read it all and repented immediately. Changed his life. 1,200 years later, a German monk, a a bright, very bright scholar named Martin Luther was struggling with God. In fact, he was at the point where he was mad at God because he felt like God was asking something that was impossible. He felt like God was asking him to be righteous and that 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 righteousness was necessary for him to be, you know, to be saved and he couldn't figure out how he could ever possibly be that righteous until he read through Romans. And in Romans chapter five, verse one, it says that we are justified by faith alone. Changed his life. John Wesley, John Calvin, two ends of the spectrum, both of them struggled 
with their salvation until they too realize that they were justified by Christ alone. And you'll hear the same story if you read through other different you know, characters down through history. John Tyndale who started you know, Tyndale Bible House or, or John Bunyan, Bunyan who you know, was this great you know, leader of, 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 of people. Jonathan Edwards, all of them came to the same conclusion that the message of Romans challenged their hearts. Romans will also link the whole scriptures together. The letter has 60 different Old Testament quotes in it from 14 different Old Testament books. There's nothing that's even remotely close to this. You talk about a cohesion of pulling the scriptures together. The letter was written by the Apostle Paul who at one time was a Hebrew Pharisee who murdered Christians. He wrote, the third in the la- wrote this on the third and the last missionary journey from Corinth around 57 to 58 AD, and I believe he wrote it because in chapter one, verse 15, he tells us that he's earnestly desiring to come and to preach the gospel, and I think this is his way of setting that up by preaching the gospel on paper, on that letter, in a very thorough way so that they will be ready to hear the message when he gets there. Now again, why would we do all of this verse by verse? Well, It's very tempting, and a lot of churches will even try this, but it's very tempting to only pull out the things that we really feel most comfortable with and talk about the things that sound really fun to talk about and only talk about the love of God and things like that. But the truth is, the scriptures also tell us that there's wrath. See, there's there's things that we have to deal with on both sides here. And we wanna be fair about God's word. We wanna go through God's word verse by verse so that we can make sure that we're understanding exactly who our God is and what he is asking from us. And our hope is, as a church, and also as individuals, this will be the thing that will turn your life on the course that God wants it to be. We want you to understand that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Romans truly is the gospel for all time. Now, if you got your Bible, opens up to Romans chapter one. We're gonna look at the first seven verses here. And in that, Paul is gonna tell us three things to get started. As he writes this letter, he's going to make some statements at the beginning that are really, really important here. Romans chapter one, starting at verse one, he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in those seven verses here, Paul's gonna tell us three things. The first thing is he's gonna tell us, in verse one, he's gonna talk about himself. So he will tell us about who he is. Then you get to verses two through four, he's gonna talk about who Jesus is. And then in verses five through seven, he's gonna tell us about the heart of God. So let's look at the first one here. Verse, verse one here, Paul here, telling, speaking about himself, is gonna tell us, Three things, and first of all, he will describe himself as a servant. Now, that's not a new thing. He, you will see here in a minute that he will say that about himself in other, other places. 
but it's not a new thing for him. In fact, keep your finger here in Romans, go over to the next verse, or the next, excuse me, the next book, over to the right, one book, to 1 Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three. Paul here is, is, gonna, is writing to the Corinthians, and he starts off in verse five, and he says this. He says, what then is Apollos? Now, look up just for a second. Apollos was the most famous speaker of the time back then. If, if they had podcasts back then, he was the guy that everybody would have listened to. I mean, he was just very eloquent, and, and he did things in a great way, and yet, theologically, there were times that he had to actually be sort of straightened out on some things. He says, what then is Apollos, so this most famous person here, and what is Paul, the primary writer of the New Testament at this point? Pretty big characters, right? The answer, servants. Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So why does Paul refer to himself as a servant here? It's a statement of humility. Completely opposite of the world. It should be a picture of how those of us within the church, within the faith, act and respond to people. The world says you're supposed to lead with confidence and bravado. And yet Paul here leads with humility. And there's a really easy answer to why. The answer is this, is that God, according to the scriptures, James chapter four, verse six, first Peter chapter five, verse five, will tell you the exact same thing. God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to the arrogant, but he gives grace to the humble. He's calling his leaders to be humble. Humility not arrogance or bravado is something that looks good on us because it focuses in on the Lord. And it makes sense then if you start looking at his writings back in, in Philippians chapter one, he describes himself as a servant. In Titus chapter one, he's a servant. Why does he keep calling himself a servant? Because he's setting the tone for everyone who will read this letter. Because if he sees himself as a servant, it must be okay to be a servant. The problem, though, with the idea of being a servant, both back then and even today, is one of culture. It's how does everybody see you? Well, in Roman culture, being a servant basically aligned with being a slave. In fact, the word here, the Greek word here, doulos, also translates as slave. And there were lots of doulosses in Rome. In fact, it's, it's potentially true that there were more slaves in Rome than there were Romans. He knew who his audience was. So the title servant was really considered a real lowly one and no one wanted to be saddled with the title of servant, which is kind of the, you know, defining of who we are, right? I mean, we all want to be seen as servants until someone treats us like one. Let me say that one more time. We all want to be seen as servants until someone treats me like one. That, that's me included. 
Paul's attitude was completely different. He will actually elevate the term. He will make it acceptable. He's not ashamed to be a servant. In fact, you know where he got that from? Jesus. Jesus, when he described himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, the son of man, that's how he used to describe himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, who would not just say it, but actually do it. In John chapter 13, would walk into an upper room with all of his disciples. There are all these people that are supposed to be these servant, humble leaders. They walk in, and of course, they've been walking around on the streets of Jerusalem, and their, their feet are absolutely just filthy, and it was the place of the lowest servant in the house to stop and wash everybody's feet. And so all of these people walk in, all of his disciples, they're all looking at each other going, who's gonna do this? And you know what Jesus does? He did. Remember Peter was ashamed at that point? Oh, you are not gonna, mm-mm. And Jesus is like, yes, I am. And I want you to do this for others. Humility goes with transformation. There's a reason why this word servant here, his description here of who he is, comes up before the word apostle. Because God expects those who represent him to be humble, humble leaders who serve him first. The leaders in God's church are to be servant leaders, period. Now the second thing that verse one will tell us here is in regard to Paul's authority is that he is an apostle. Well, what's an apostle? Well, the Greek word here means chosen messenger. This is an authoritative position. In this case, these are people that are chosen in every single case but one by Jesus himself. That's how Paul even describes himself as appointed or chosen. First Timothy chapter two, verse seven, he says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. The guy who wrote the, the Greek book that I used when I was in seminary Describe the word as an ambassador by divine summons. That's a great picture. That's who Paul sees himself as. Now, some people will ask, like, well, hey, well, do we, we still have apostles today? Well, the answer is not the same type of apostles that Jesus called. See, those apostles, according to Acts chapter one, verses 21 through 22, had to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And so, since that was a couple of thousand years ago, we don't have those type of people here today, unless somebody has lived a really, really long time. We don't have that here today. Paul was one of those people, though. 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verse one, he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Now, when Jesus left the, left the earth, the church was given the responsibility of building, building the kingdom here that handed off to the disciples who became the apostles. Now, some churches and denominations today will still designate people as apostles or bishops or other things like that. That is a leadership structure. That is not an appointment by Jesus. Don't get the two mixed up. The key here is Paul's declaration of his apostleship was the Lord's way of saying, pay attention to him. Listen to what he has to say because I'm going to speak through him. Now, the reason why this has to be so careful here on all of this is lots of people claim to speak for God, but they don't. The church, faith, 
all of it for many, many years has been plagued with false teachers and false prophets. I mean, Israel was corrupted by false teachers. They misled God's people. And I thought I'd give you a really quick, easy test so you can know whether someone is false or they're not, okay? If, if someone ever says they speak for God or God reveals something to them and it does not happen exactly as they were told, it doesn't ha- if it doesn't happen, they are a false prophet. They're a false prophet. Don't let you know, spiritual talk confuse you. There's lots of spiritual talk out there that doesn't mean it's following the Lord. Paul reminds them here that he is a prophet and that's important, especially after declaring already that he's a servant because the two really do go together. Humility and authority go together. Now the third thing that Paul tells us here in verse one is he gives us his assignment. He tells us that he is set apart for the gospel. That term here, gospel, is the Greek term euangelion. It's used 60 times here in the book of Romans. Now, I'm not trying to be... um, you know, say something, you're like, oh, that's obvious, okay. But I just wanna make sure you catch this. If I write a letter to you, and I say something 60 times to you in the letter, did I mean to say that? Is it important? 60 times the word there is used because he wants that word, that gospel word, the truth of the gospel, to go out so the people will understand exactly what this is really about. But notice here that, that this isn't the gospel of man because verse one says it's the gospel of God. That means it's not the best ideas of men and women. It, it means it's not a bunch of people getting together and voting on it and coming up with something that they thought was good. It's not popular opinion. What's been done by God for us through his son is the good news. And it's our prayer that it will challenge you to walk with him to see him in a deeper way, that, that truth that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone. Now, the second thing that he's gonna tell us here in verses two through four is about Jesus, about who Jesus is. Look what he says here. Go back to verse two. He says, which he promised beforehand to his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So verse two tells us that he is the fulfilled promise of the prophets. Verse three tells us that the son here, Jesus, is born from the seed of David. What does that mean? Well, in Acts chapter two, verses 29 through 32, Luke, who wrote Acts here, tells us this. He quotes this. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb was with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised him up and we are all his witnesses. What he's saying here is this person would come along, the Messiah was gonna come along and be a part of King David's lineage. That Jesus was the fulfilled promise of the prophets, not a divine afterthought, not, oh, 
dang it, that whole system of, of sacrifices, that didn't work? Well, let me try something new. That's not what he was saying here. This is not quick thinking on God on how to reconcile us back. It's not plan B. It has been the plan of God ever since the beginning of time before the foundation of the world that you and I would be reconciled back to God by God's sacrifice himself of giving his son so that the only person that gets glory is him. Nobody else. Now verse two will also mention prophets. I'll ask the same question as I asked before. Do we have prophets today? Well, it depends on how you define prophecy. If you're asking, is, this, is our people out there that are giving you know, like, you know, brand new revelation of things that are happening out there? No, there's not. There's no prophets that are out there speaking revelation from God. The canon of scripture is closed. But we do have people that speak prophetically the already revealed truth of God. And go up, drop down to verses three and four. Verse three here tells us that Jesus is declared, excuse me, three and four declare that Jesus is both human and he's divine. Verse three, you see his humanity is seen in him being from the line of David. In other words, David was his great, 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 great grandfather. Verse four tells us his deity is seen in him being declared the son of God by the power of his own resurrection. In other words, you can't get away from the fact that when they see you get crucified, they put you dead in the ground after they've already run you know, a stake right through your heart like that, and then you come out of the grave alive. You have power over life and death. He's declared to be the son of God. Now the third thing that he's gonna tell us here is he's gonna tell us about the heart of God in verses five through seven. Verse five, he says this. He says, through whom we have all have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice here in verse five that Paul says that part of his job as an apostle is to bring about the obedience of faith. What does that mean? Well, it means that people would come to faith in Jesus and then they would obey Jesus. That they'd believe and obey. Trust and obey. We call that discipleship. Now verse five will also keep going here because he's gonna give us now the scope of the gospel. How big is it supposed to be? And he tells us here it's for all nations. Do you realize how important that is? Even this morning as Tim began to pray and he mentioned the brothers and sisters that are in Afghanistan, there's about 1,500 believers supposedly in the underground church there that are gonna be under extreme pressure. We gotta be praying for them, folks. Pray that the things that they see around them will not work to their neighbors and they'll ask, what's different about you and get invited to a home fellowship and hear the gospel? The gospel's supposed to go to all the world. Jesus himself even said that in Mark you know, chapter 13, verse 10. The gospel was to be preached to all nations. That tells me that the task 
The assignment of going has to go out to all the world, to every nation, to every tribe, and we are responsible for it. We're either responsible for being the, be- the people that put boots on the ground or we're supposed to be paying for the boots to be on the ground. But we have to be responsible for the things that we're called to. Taking the good news everywhere. You know, people have asked me before, they said, you know, I... I I hear you speak about Haiti a lot, but what about here? Could I encourage you, we have tons and tons of ministry partners here that we work with all the time. Um, You know, we do stuff with them weekly, we do stuff with them monthly, we do it all the time. It's incredibly easy to do that here because you can put a group of people on a list and give them a call and invite them and they can come and they can make a decision quickly. You cannot make one announcement about going to Haiti and have a large group of people ready to go to a third world country in two weeks. That's why we have to bring those things up. Because it takes much more work. The complication is much, much greater. And notice here, go back to verse seven here, notice here that he's gonna tell us two things here that are very important. First, he's gonna tell us how God feels about the Romans. He said they're loved by God. That's how God feels about us. Then he says how God sees us, that they are called to be saints. That's who God calls us to be, saints. You know, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they will come back and join me. You know, this morning, we're gonna be taking communion, and I gotta tell you something, it is totally fitting for us to talk about the gospel for all time and to take communion at the same time because communion is all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Now, I wanna be really clear here. Communion is for believers. It's for people who've trusted in Christ. But there is something that's very important here that we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, it tells us that we are to examine ourselves to make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord. And so those of you that are believers, I'm gonna ask you, would you just stop for a minute and make sure that your heart is right before the Lord to take this? Now, if you didn't grab one of these little communion cups like this that have both the bread and the juice in it, would you just slip your hand up we have some people that will bring those to you. Just keep it up for a minute. So if you're a believer, you make sure that your heart is right before the Lord. But I'm not gonna stop for a second and think that there is not people here that have not trusted. And so I wanna do this. I'm gonna take a minute while while the believers here are taking a moment to make sure their hearts are right before the Lord and I'm gonna walk you through the Roman road because I think this is a, a powerful understanding of the truths of the gospel. It begins with Romans chapter three, verse 23 that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me translate that for you. Each of us are imperfect. We are imperfect people. We fumble, we make mistakes, we turn right when we should have gone left. We, do, we are imperfect people. Here's the problem. The standard of God's heaven is perfect. So no imperfection. I want to be really clear about this. No imperfection. No imperfection gets into God's heaven. None. You know where that leaves all of us? 
unless God makes a way. You say, is that really true? Yeah. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The result, the natural outcome of being who we are is we fall short of the glory of God. We're not gonna make it. But then it goes on and it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wait, God's made a way? Yes. In fact, it tells us, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Boy, that's the good news. What do I do about that? That's what I've been wanting to hear my whole life, that, that God would make a way for me. Well, here's how you do it. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. You don't need me to help you with that. You don't need anybody else to help with that. That is something you can do between you and the Lord is to ask him to forgive you and to come inside of you and make you alive, to make you his. And you want to know what the result is? Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation means you're not going to get condemned. You're in. You're his. So if you're one of those people that are here and you've never asked God to change your life, to come inside of your life, to forgive you, you could do that right where you're at. And I'd encourage you, take a moment right where you're at and ask God to change you, to forgive you, to live inside of you. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, writes, and he says this, verse 23, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take it? Verse 25. In the same way also he took the cup after, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me ask you this. If you prayed that prayer, would you please, we're going to have a group of people down here at the end, prayer team down here. Would you please let us know? Would you please stop by? We just want to be able to encourage you, walk with you, and pray with you. Help you get started brand new in your faith. Pray with me, would you? Father, pray that our hearts would be right before you. We thank you, God, that the truth of the gospel goes out, and we pray that it would speak powerfully to the hearts and minds of people. And there would be people that would be brand new in the kingdom right now because they trust in you. God, bless us as we sing about your glory. 
and about following you and walking with you in Jesus' name. Amen. If Jesus positioned himself as a servant, if Paul refers to himself as a servant, we are not better than that. We are called to be God's servants. We bear the gospel message to the whole world. We are the ones that call for the obedience of faith, that people would come to believe, and then we help them turn and walk in faith with the Lord, trusting and obeying Him. That's discipleship. Folks, that's who we need to be in the church. We want you to do that. Please sign up to be involved in in, in discipleship ministry or get into a group and get started in that process of walking with Him. God bless you. I love you all. Have a great week.